So as we just reminded the children this morning, last week we were reconciled to God as new creations through the words of 2 Corinthians 5. This week we return to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where as new creations in Christ, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. We are entrusted by God with the message of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ, and we are the ones through whom God is making his appeal to the world. This week, we pick up from last week with the horizontal axis of the ministry of reconciliation, be reconciled to others. For this, I want to start by bringing us back to the context of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. We remember last week that I described the church in Corinth as wild and disorderly when Paul wrote his first letter. I like the way that Luther words things sometimes, so I want to read to you Luther's description of that church. He writes, St. Paul had taught his Corinthians Christian faith and Christian freedom from the law, but then the mad saints came along and the immature know-it-alls. They broke up the unity of the doctrine and caused division among the believers. In short, things got so wild and disorderly that everyone wanted to be the expert and do the teaching and make what he pleased of the gospel, the sacrament, and the faith. Mad saints, know-it-alls, wild, disorderly, everyone wanting to do what was right in their own eyes, everyone wanting to be their own expert and do what they pleased. Does this sound like any church that you've ever been a part of? I hope not, but I think we can look around the world and see that that is not far from many of our churches. I did a quick glance through 1 Corinthians, and I don't know if this is an exhaustive list, but this is what I was able to find that Paul points out for some of the behaviors he was observing in this church. Quarreling, sexual immorality, and Paul describes it as of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. Don't know what that means exactly, but it doesn't sound good. Lawsuits, drunkenness. People were getting drunk on communion wine in the middle of church. Does this sound like any church that you would want to join? I certainly hope not, and it's certainly not where we're going, I don't think. I hope not anyway. But I want you to realize that this is the church in Corinth. These are the very people that later that same year, for First and Second Corinthians were written in the same year, these are the same people who Paul instructs that they have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation and tasked to be ambassadors for Christ. Now, for such a transition to have occurred, something remarkable must have happened in that church. I can't believe that Paul would have entrusted them with this sacred ministry of reconciliation if something remarkable hadn't happened. So what do we think that Paul did? Well, he writes, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, 
that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It was the gospel of Christ crucified that transformed those wild and disorderly Christians in Corinth. And this brings us back to where we were last week. Through the gospel of Christ crucified, they had been reconciled to God. They had become a new creation in Christ. As Paul writes, the old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now, for those of you who are paying attention to the epistle reading, you may have realized I flipped the order of those verses, and I hope that you will forgive me for doing so. But I think this shows us the turning point for both the church in Corinth and perhaps even the church in Tillamook. We no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. We no longer regard Christ according to the flesh. For you see, this is exactly what the Corinthians were doing when they were making what they pleased of the gospel, the sacrament, and the faith. They were regarding Christ according to the flesh. Not his flesh, but their own sinful flesh. And when they were quarreling and fornicating and getting drunk, they were regarding each other according to their own sinful flesh. And that is what you and I do when we hurt and betray and sin against each other. We are regarding each other according to our own sinful flesh. And that is what we are doing when we proclaim the forgiveness of sins in one breath and that neighbor, that colleague, that politician, that sinner to be beyond redemption. We are not seeing him as God sees him, but according to our own flesh. We are not seeing him as he is, as a lost child desired by God, loved by God and seeking to be forgiven by God. We are seeing him, and we are not seeing Christ as he is either. We are not seeing Christ as the forgiver of all of our sins. We are seeing him as a score setter or a God who plays favorites as long as I'm his favorite. But as a new creation, we regard no one according to the flesh. We see Christ for what he is, our Savior, who calls us to himself, who forgives me and who forgives you, even though we do not deserve it. And we see each other for what we are, lost children in need of a Savior, sinners, in need of forgiveness. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And being made new creations, now is the time that the work begins. Not works, mind you, so that no one may boast, but the work that God has created for you to do as a new creation, the work he has laid out before you as his ambassadors, the work of God making his appeal through you. And like the Corinthians, that ministry of reconciliation, it begins right here 
in the church. The Corinthians were certainly in need of being reconciled to God. As we see in Paul's letter, they were a pretty sinful lot. But they also needed to be reconciled to each other. And the sins that they were committing, they were not only sinning against God, but they were sinning against each other. And so the ministry of reconciliation must start in the church, in Redeemer. We are called to be reconciled to each other. Only from there can we take this ministry of reconciliation into our homes and our families and our friends, into our neighborhoods, and ultimately into the whole world. But it starts here with us. And how do we do that? We start with the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. We start with the confession Jesus taught us to confess. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We pray here that as Christ forgives, so we may also forgive. Luther puts it this way, For just as we sinned greatly against God every day, and yet he forgives it all through grace, so we must also forgive our neighbor who does us harm, violence, and injustice. Now, when I first read this quote, Luther's word must kind of, uh, I didn't really like it. It sounds a little law to me. It sounds a little thou shalt, and you know we're all about grace. But when I read it again, when I reflected on it, I feel like Paul is not making a law declaration, but he's referring us back to 2 Corinthians 5, where he writes, for the love of Christ controls us. Another translation says, For the love of Christ compels us. So we, being forgiven, cannot help ourselves but to forgive. We are compelled. We are drawn. There is something within us that drives us to forgive because we have been forgiven. Luther reminds us that in this petition of the Lord's Prayer, we have the promise we have the promise that if you forgive, you have the comfort and assurance that you are forgiven, that you are forgiven in heaven, not on account of your forgiving, but instead because he has set this up for our strengthening and assurance as a sign along with the promise. So as you forgive, you are reminded that you too are forgiven. One of the many great things about the Lord's Prayer, and there are many, aren't there? But one of them is that it's a daily prayer. And as such, it is also a daily exercise in confession. The Lord's Prayer, after all, is a confession. We are confessing before God and our neighbors that we sin and that we need, need his forgiveness. We experience reconciliation with God through this forgiveness and absolution. You yourselves experienced that this morning when you confessed your sins and you heard the words of the absolution 
as a servant of Christ and by his authority. I therefore forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You are and have been reconciled to God. But Luther goes on to remind us that besides this public, daily, and necessary confession, there's also the secret confession that takes place privately before a single brother or sister. This comes into play when some particular issue weighs on us or attacks us, eating away at us until we have no peace nor find ourselves sufficiently strong in faith. Then we may at any time, and as often as we wish, lay our troubles before a brother or sister. This is where we are reconciled to each other. This is where God is making his appeal through us, through the confession and forgiveness of our sins to one another. Luther continues, By divine ordinance, Christ himself has placed absolution in the mouths of his Christian community and commanded us to absolve one another from sins. So if there is a heart that feels its sin and desires comfort, it has there a sure refuge where it finds and hears God's word, because through a human being, God looses and absolves from sin. To be reconciled to others is to be an ambassador for Christ. And so we long to, we yearn to, we are compelled to be reconciled to others because we have experienced the joy of the transformation that comes with being reconciled to God from being a new creation. Now, as we are coming to the end of my message this morning, I want to circle back to my earlier comments about our liturgy. And I want to point out something to you in our liturgy that I hope you'll find as meaningful as I do. If you'd be willing to pull out your hymnals and go to page 163, making sure that I pick the right. Did you get the right? Did I get the 163. 163.63. I'm just checking my own work. Yep, I was right. <laughs> For on page 163, we see a little section called the Pax Domini, or if somebody here speaks Latin, you can correct my pronunciation. It's the passing of the peace. Now, if you're like me, this is the part of the worship service that's kind of awkward where we have to get up and mingle and you kind of figure out like how long do I need to be moving around before I can sit down again and we move, we move on with this. Um, but it's really more than that. Early in church history, the Pax Domini was not where you see it in Divine Service 1, but somewhere along the way, it was moved to where you find it today. It sits between the Lord's Prayer and communion. It was moved there to illustrate, or better demonstrate, the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so we pray for peace immediately before we receive peace 
in the Holy Communion. But not only that, at some times and in some places in our church, this was a point in the service where the congregation was invited that if they had sinned or been sinned against, that they could join each other in a moment of private reconciliation, of private confession and absolution. And so I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about what this would look like in the church. Think about what it would be like to experience this kind of open and radical and free-flowing forgiveness and reconciliation. Think about what it would look like to someone coming in from outside the church, someone coming from a broken world that sees this radical form of reconciliation where the brothers and sisters love each other so much that they can freely confess their sins to one another and freely receive the forgiveness of sins without reservation. Luther wrote about this type of confession, that if it was taught like this, such a desire and love for it would be aroused that people would come running after us to get it more than you would like. How would you like that? People chasing you into the doors of the church because they want what you have. They want that reconciliation. I leave you this morning with the words of St. Paul from his first letter to the Corinthians, that bunch of wild and disorderly Christians loved by God. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you that you are not lacking in any gift as you await for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I too thank God for you, for all of you here this morning. And I know that we are in the midst of difficult times here at Redeemer, but I remind you so too were the Corinthians long ago But even then, despite their struggles, Paul writes to them that they were not lacking in any gift. And we too are not lacking in any gift. We are new creations. We have the ministry of reconciliation. We have what the world so desperately wants and needs. We may not have a pastor for the time being. We may not have as many people in the pews as we would like, and we too have our conflicts here at Redeemer. But Paul reminds us that we are not lacking in any gift. You are forgiven. You are a new creation in Christ. We are the body of Christ, God making his appeal through us. To him be the glory. Amen. And now I invite you to confess our faith that binds us together as the body of Christ in the words of the Apostles' Creed.